Welcome to the Christian Coach Podcast, where our mission is to serve coaches through conversations so they can lead like Jesus. I'm Gian Lemmy, and I'm joined by my co-host, Chad Simpson. Hey, Chad. Hey, Gian. Chad, today we have a legend in the coaching profession, Coach Jay Mills. He coached for over 30 years um, in college football, 13 as a head coach. He coached at Charleston Southern, who we've had Jeff Barber here as the AD there. Um, but he, that was, I believe, his last coaching job. Um, and now he's an executive director at Pleasant Valley Community Church in Owensboro, Kentucky. Um, and what, what do you think, what did stood out to you the most in that conversation? Because it's so wise, you know, I feel like every second there was a nugget of information that I was like, wow, this guy has been doing this for a long time. Yeah, I love hearing hearing from uh, the veteran coaches and uh, so much experience and wisdom. So this is a guy that we all can learn from. And uh, I really liked what you shared about just creating a coaching tree that um, having that as a, a goal or a side goal uh, within the coaching is just producing more coaches with uh, a biblical foundation and godly hearts to go out and impact the world. I do think that's one way that, that we can change the world is by having more Christian coaches out in the world. Yeah, I, I always think back when we talk about coaching tree, I think about uh, uh, Andy Reid and Bill Belichick in, in NFL. And Andy Reid has currently like five or six uh, former assistant coaches who are, you know, head coaches. And he's only won two Super Bowls. Like, you know, Belichick has won six Super Bowls and he doesn't have any, you know. So that's kind of that's kind of weird where both are successful. But I guess in their own way, you know, their, their definition of success is a little different. We, we always need to get a, a good New England Patriot um, analogy coming from UG Man, whether it's Tom Brady or Belichick, but we are uh, ready to get into this episode right now. Coach Jay Mills, thank you so much for coming on the Christian Coach Podcast. We've been trying to schedule this for, for quite some time now, and I'm so thankful we're able to make it happen. You know, our first question is always, what does it mean to you to be a Christian coach? Well, Gene, first of all, thank you for having me. It's truly a pleasure to be here. I'm sorry it's taken a little while, but uh, I'm certainly glad that the Lord's merged our paths. You know, Christian coach, the first thing I think of is when we talk about being a Christian coach, it's really the biblical worldview and how we live our entire life. It's not compartmentalized into just coaching, but I would contend that we're all Christian coaches, whether we're on an athletic field or court or um, whatever the venue might be. It is what we do. I heard somebody, I think it's Kevin Hall, say at one point in time, and I love this definition Definition of coach. A coach is someone or something that still transfers a valued person from where they are to where they'd like to be. And so that's what a Christian coach is. We do it on the court, on the field, as I mentioned, and off that uh, that uh, out of that venue as well. So in everything that we do in all facets of life, whether it be at our home, our job in the community or wherever it might be at our church, uh, we're all Christian coaches. Yeah. We profess our faith in Jesus Christ. That's great. What you've been coaching for a long time and you've had, you've held other jobs as well. Um, now, now you're, you're a pastor, executive pastor. Now, um, what are some of the commonalities of the great Christian coaches that you've been around? 
Well, I've been very blessed. You're right. It's been a while. My, my gray hair tips it off right off the bat. Yesterday, I was a young coach trying to get his foot in the door. And today, I'm the veteran and the older gentleman. And sometimes uh, some of my former coaches still call me to this day. So, you know, with regard to coaching and, and the things that I've seen, I, I've been blessed. Three mentors in particular, I'll just share if I might. Uh, yep. My father, first and foremost, was one. He's gone to be with the Lord, and uh, I was so fortunate to be in the home of a man that he coached every sport, every gender uh, for many years. And uh, he, the unique thing about him that was great and, and Christ-like was he was one of those rare coaches that people wanted to play for him. The student athletes were motivated by the character of the individual that he was you know he was a transformational coach before people talked about that term uh he was not transactional and it motivated they'd they'd play hard for him the second person was a guy named paul hansen paul was a college coach of mine just one spring but in just one spring he had such an impact that when he became the head football coach at western washington university i went sight unseen for like $2,300 from Illinois to Bellingham, Washington, to be with this man. And he took me under his wing, taught me, guided, molded me. And he's been a friend and a mentor to this day. That's over 30 years later. And the third one was Lou Holtz. Um, being with Coach Holtz at the University of Notre Dame, Coach Holtz applied biblical principles in the things that he did. You know, he had three rules, do what's right, do the best you can, and treat others the way you'd like to be treated. And Obviously, those are biblically based, and people use those concepts. Um, we are more apt to find the favor of the Lord. Yeah, well, that's great. I, I love mentorship, and and you know, I've had some some of my own. What were some of the lessons? Maybe one lesson from each person, each of these three mentors that you talked about that you still carry with yourself um, now. Well, I think from, uh, you know, in particular, uh, my dad, among others, and it's hard to narrow it down, uh, uh, and Paul Hansen, I'll just say one thing they shared is uh, the saying of Teddy Roosevelt, they don't know how much, uh, care how much you know until they know how much you care. Uh, I love that saying, and, and um, they lived that out, and so they cared about the young men or young women that they worked with. And so, um, you know, there was that bond. So that that was important to me. I use that and have transferred. And quite frankly, all the lessons you can transfer in, it's a transferable skill set into any field. Yeah. But I use those as a pastor, as a shepherd. I try to keep those in mind that the relationship is number one. From Coach Holtz, there's numerous things. I followed him around like a shadow. If he turned around too quickly, he probably would have tripped over me. But the attention to detail uh, was tremendous, you know, and uh, in the things that he did, he did not assume things and he, uh, he made sure that we crossed the T's dotted the I's and it's about prevent, you know, preventive maintenance or uh, defect elimination before you get into any contest. And I think that's a great way to live our life as well. That's, that's great. Now let's go back a few years. Um, how did you get into sports? What was your family life? like growing up? Was it a Christian home or did you come to the faith later in life? No, it was a Christian home. And I, I professed uh, Christ as my savior at a, at a church camp in second grade. But really, the idol of my life continued to be football with a dad as a football coach. That was my desire to get a college scholarship. And National Letter of Intent Day came and I did not get one. And that was the first time I was broken. 
And my mom, dad, uh, as Christ followers, my mom that day, I stayed home from school and she prayed. The next day, uh, a coach called from a university and it eventually led to a scholarship. But a couple of years later, I tell people my dream became my nightmare and I gave up that scholarship. And the day after I gave up that scholarship, I got a call asking me, uh, local high school, if I'd be interested in serving as their offensive coordinator, the coaching staff at the university had recommended me. And this is before Blackaby and King wrote Experiencing God. And so, you know, but already I was seeing markers. And I said, this could not be a coincidence that the day after I don't get the scholarship, I get this call. And the day after I give that same scholarship up, I get this call. So I went to listen to the individual. And Probably the biggest difference is my heart changed. I began chasing after God in college. I became involved with Campus Crusade for Christ and Athletes in Action. And, and so I, I wanted to see if God was in this. And I coached that fall and we won the state championship. And I said, this coaching thing's easy. You know, I got all the answers. You win every you know? time. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So, uh, you know, I only had one way to go at the high school level. And that's when I had the opportunity to you know, step up to the college level with Paul Hansen at Western Washington. And it led to a 30-year college career. And as best as I could, I used that platform. Uh, I believe that's where the Lord had me to advance his kingdom and to mentor, uh, train up not only young men in the way they should go, but train up young coaches in the way they should go as well. Yeah. And uh, to create that coaching tree, if you will. Yeah. Let's, let's, uh, go back a little bit. You said you gave up a scholarship. That's almost unheard of, you know, nowadays, you know, you have that scholarship is such a prize and it, the ability to go through college and not have any loans or have very minimal loans. That's very important. Um, what was happening in your heart and in your life at that moment that, that made you take that decision? Well, here's the interesting thing, <laughs> you know, Psalm 37, four says, delight yourself in the Lord. He'll give you the desires of your heart. But in Philippians 2.13, it says, it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. So, you know, as an immature individual, and I wish I could say it ended, <laughs> it ended at 20 years of age, but I'm, the Lord's still working on us all, obviously, and certainly me. But what I thought at one point in time was, well, these are my desires. And if I follow the Lord, then he'll stake me, you know, and I'll be able to attain those things that I put there. And what I learned was it's about allowing the Lord to work within your heart. And when he puts those desires there, then he'll give you the desires of your heart, but you have to be open to him leading there. And so what happened was my desires change. And in fact, I'm going to do a chalk talk this fall and talk about this um, a little bit on how to know when to go or how to know when to release and that's one of the things is my desires change. My love and my idolatry, I might say, for the game of football as a player was no more. And I made sure because I'd seen my dad enough athletes quit and then regret it later. I made sure uh, before I did so, but I was convinced and I never looked back with regret because I knew that this was the path the Lord took me on. And, and with regard to money, you're right. Uh, that's always an important thing, especially at that age. And, yeah. and I came from a you know, lower middle-class home, but, um, you know, the Lord gives us, uh, he meets all our needs as we know, as he says in Philippians 4.19. Yeah, that's true. Very true. So then you, you go to Western Washington, you start your collegiate career. Um, how do you end up from there all the way to Notre Dame with Lou Holtz? 
uh, it, it's a miracle and an act of God. I mean, I put out, uh, you know, we had had our first child and there was some homesickness because it was the first grandchild on both family side. So I put out graduate assistant applications and, you know, got rejections like most people do. And uh, one morning out of the blue, I get a call and because of the gravelly voice, I knew it was authentic. I knew it wasn't like GM messing with me. And it said it was Jerry Faust, head football coach at the University of Notre Dame. And we had a brief conversation and basically he tried to talk me out of coaching. And, and uh, you know, I convinced him that that's where the Lord wanted me. And one of the things he told me was, well, we don't have any money to give you moving expenses to, to head out here. And I said, well, actually, when we moved from Bloomington, Normal, Illinois, to Bellingham, Washington, the, the few possessions we had, we actually moved to the basement of the grandmother of my wife. And that was 30 minutes away from South Bend, Indiana and Notre Dame. And so, you know, just talk about how the Lord orchestrates your steps. He had it planned and our moving expenses covered before I even had, you know, left, <laughs> before I'd even left Illinois. And so, uh, let alone left the state of Washington. So, uh, all this happened within 24 hours. They didn't even fly me out for an interview. Uh, he was gracious and said, I'll just give you the money because I can do that or what we would have spent to fly you out. And I happen to remember that Paul Hansen, who I was working for, at one time had been the graduate assistant for his current offensive coordinator, Ron Hudson. And so, God had been orchestrating like he does in all of our plans you know, not just uh, years before, before I even thought about being a college football coach, but obviously before we were ever in our mother's wombs. Yeah, that's true. Wow. That's, that's incredible. Um, you, you mentioned your wife a little bit. Um, so I want to shift gears and, and talk about maneuvering college coaching and, um, and family that, that requires some balance. Some coaches don't like to say there's balance. There's just seasons. Um, what's your view in maneuvering family and, and coaching? Well, here's, here's the first piece of, of advice that I would give any um, young family that's making a move professionally, which, of course, we do as coaches. Um, uh, a lot of people think that, well, you wait till the end of the school year before you move your family so the kids can finish the school year. My folks did that, and it's logical. I mean, I think everyone's had that thought. What it made for was a very lonely summer when I was a child because I knew nobody mm. at the new place that we moved to. And so intentionally, I always moved the family during the school year. And uh, they were able to um, tra yeah, transition well academically. But before they went to summer break, even one time, my uh, daughter, I don't know if she appreciated this, but she'd finished the school year in Minnesota before we headed to Massachusetts, they had about three weeks of school left. So I put her back in school after she was done with that school year. But, you know, she was invited to a birthday party within about two weeks from being there. So there go. she got it too. She was old enough to understand. But but obviously, uh, you know, family must be a priority. I, I get concerned at the college level nowadays, quite frankly, because of, you know, coaches will run themselves lame uh, unless there's regulation that causes them and forces them to take time off. So some of the rules that changed with regard to recruiting and texting and those things have made it a 365, 24-7 uh, job. And, and uh, 
uh, that can be very unhealthy if a coach does not have, male or female, for their family, if they do not have proper boundaries in place, uh, that's, that's something that can be uh, difficult. So it's something all of us can do, and especially since we have that competitive nature in what we do, um, we need to just make sure we do a good job of keeping our priorities in order. Yeah. What kind of conversations did you have with your wife before every move? What, well, go ahead. Okay, I'm sorry. Well, the uh, uh, when I met my wife um, uh, and uh, in Charleston, South Carolina, one of the things I told her is I, I it was more like a business meeting. I let her know that uh, hey, uh, you know, here's what can happen and such. And I told her, you know, personally as well as professionally, you cross me off the list if you like. I'll cross myself off the list if it's not a fit. And and uh, we went from there and. Uh, and uh, it, it wasn't romantic, maybe, but it was practical. And, uh, you know, her heart, I told her, I said, you know, one moment we can be in Charleston, the next moment we could be in, you know, California and such. And she, you know, her, her response, and she was um, uh, genuine, was, you know, I'll go wherever the Lord leads. And I trust you as, you know, the head of our household, uh, that you will follow the Christ's guidance as well. And, uh, and then my move became one professionally. I went from being a college coach into ministry. So we never moved um, from when we moved from Charleston, it was to Tennessee and then Tennessee to California, California now to Kentucky and such. But uh, I kidded her because it got to be cool one day in uh, Charleston and she was shivering as I dropped her off to church that morning. And I said, well, I guess we'll never go to the University of Minnesota. And she, as she quaked, was quivering, she said, I'll go wherever the Lord leads. And, uh, and, uh, and she has. And, uh, and so that's the key, because whether it's coaching or as a pastor in ministry or whatever we do, you know, it's a partnership. No question. Yeah, yeah. that's that's good. Some good tips there, because um, I always thought I'm maybe just wait until the kid is, is done with school. But that makes sense. Um, I was an exchange student in uh, in Connecticut. I'm originally from Brazil, and I moved to Connecticut by myself to stay with a host family. And I got to the host family about a month before school started, and I completely agree. I, I was by myself the whole time, and the family has work, right? And they had some kids that were home, but there was the language barrier. I didn't speak much English. They didn't speak Portuguese. And so the interaction with the family at the beginning was kind of rough. But once school started, then you start building community, you start building friends, and then it becomes much easier. So that's, that's a good lesson. I had never thought about that. Um, my, my last question is, you coached in the same institution for, for how long? Thir- 30 years? Uh, the longest place? Yeah, the longest place. The longest Where was it? Was Charleston Southern, 10 years. 10 years, right? So... Was there something that, that when you started coaching at Charleston Southern, you thought was correct, and then you changed your mind on by the time you retired? Oh, absolutely. Um, well, there was, uh, I'll say it professionally and personally. Professionally, uh, the thing that I, I, I take great joy in is I saw how a microcosm of the university, which was the football program, could... Um, could magnify the ministry of an institution. Um, obviously football in the South is, it gets a lot of attention and I always did not take that lightly. I felt as a representative, it was a front porch activity to the university and I was so thankful 
that I was at a, um, a faith-based university that wanted to be known at the time regionally as a faith-based university for learning, leading, and serving. But as our football program developed and grew and started to have success, the vice president for enrollment will say that attendance went up uh, direct in proportion to uh, victories on the field. And what happened was we saw that we could get national exposure. So through the football program, it helped the university change its mission, its purpose from being regionally recognized to having a goal to being nationally recognized. So, so that was a change. Personally for me, the biggest change was I was committed to the Lord all those years. In fact, my key verse was Proverbs 16, three, and it was our program's key verse, commit whatever you to do to the Lord and your plans will succeed. But once again, I felt like, you know, I was, um, I had good intentions, but I questioned my motives. Uh, and there was an incident that occurred that in California where I, I, I basically staked some homeless individuals at a convenience store for food. And I woke up in the middle of the night I'd gone to bed thinking I'd done my good deed for the day. And I felt the Lord telling me, is that all you got? Is that the best you can do? I had been reading Francis Chan, Crazy Love. And I knew at that point in time that I needed to be surrendered to the Lord. It was not about what commitment was what I was willing to give. But surrender is you take and do whatever you want to do with this life. And that led to about a two-year transition that eventually changed my desires, much like in college again. Uh, to leaving the coaching profession. Uh, I did not know where I was going. Like Abraham, I went out unknown. Uh, I actually interviewed at Liberty for a director of recruitment for, for the university. I interviewed with FCA to be a state director. And I interviewed um, uh, to go into be an executive director at a, at a church. And the Lord led me one step at a time to where I'm at today. That's, that's great. Well, thank you. Um, how can people, before we pray, how can people find you? I know, I know you have a book in the works, um, but I signed up for your newsletter. So tell us a little bit more about that as well. Yeah, absolutely. So a couple of things. So I have a newsletter and two brief videos that I release each month. The newsletter is called Coaching Points. The videos are called Chalk Talks. And uh, you can sign up for them one of two ways. You can either text the letter CJM, which stands for Coach J Mills, CJM to the number 33777. If they text CJM to 33777, those five digits, uh, they'll be prompted to, pro to provide an email address, their name, so we can personalize it. Within 24 hours, they'll get a thank you, uh, welcome letter, and then they'll start to receive those resources. And they're free. All the, these resources are free um, to help those that um, uh, provide those. You can also go to my website, my website is coachjmills.com. And so there, there's information how to sign up for that. And there's additional information as well. And then with regard to the book, the book uh, I'm meeting with, I'm excited, uh, my agent uh, this Friday, um, one way or another, it's been written for quite some time. It's just, as he said, the, the, the publishing process was extremely slow before the pandemic. And now oh, yeah. it's extremely, extremely slow. So, uh, but uh, I anticipate it being released this fall. The tentative title has been called The Making of a Christian Coach. And it basically states that we're all intended to be coaches. Again, whether it be uh, athletic coaches or in any other venue, coaches take people from where they are to where they'd like to be. And so this transfers 
uh, lessons from uh, athletics. Uh, it shows that coaching is a metaphor for discipleship and a leadership model and helps people um, uh, grow upward, outward, and onward. Yeah. Well, that's great. That's great. We'll link those to the show notes as well. Um, Coach, how can we be praying for you? Well, I tell you what, um, I'm transitioning into this new role, and so there's always need for prayer there. But, but specifically, the, uh, there's a person that come, a family that comes to mind today that I just want to share. It's Mike Perea and his family. Uh, I actually write about his wife, uh, an unbelievable champion for Christ, an unbelievable story of, of success and overcoming adversity. And, um, and she, uh, she passed away this past weekend uh, to cancer after an unbelievable uh, battle. She was given a couple months to live and she nearly made it 14 years. And I never saw this woman waver. And from her, uh, I received more than I ever got as I was shepherding her. She was really shepherding me. And um, this family obviously is, um, they know where their mother is. They've grown in unbelievable ways because of this adversity they've gone through over these years. They're strong in their faith. Um, but this weekend, they're going to have a celebration life for her. And uh, her prayer would be, and their prayer would be, that as people hear this story, and there'll be many people that come out for this, uh, that uh, lives will be changed for eternity uh, from this event this weekend. That's great. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for, for this day. Thank you for bringing Coach Mills here. Um, thank you for his faithfulness and every step of the way of his career, Lord. And now as he takes um, an executive pastor role in, in Kentucky, Lord, I pray that you continue to guide his steps as he transitions, Lord, and that you you be with him and his family, that, that you be the support system that he needs in order to, to impact lives in a different arena now, Lord. I also pray for... Um, Mike and his family, as, as they lost his wife recently, Lord, that um, her battle against cancer will be um, a, an, an encouragement to others, Lord, that, that you are in control of our lives and that many, many people in the celebration ceremony coming up, that you will um, touch their, their hearts, that you will change lives, Lord, and that you will bring more people into your kingdom because of it. Lord, thank you again for this conversation. And we, we dedicate this day to you. In your name I pray. Amen. Amen. I love that interview with Jay Mills. Uh, so thankful for him to come and share on, the, his, on our podcast and excited for his book to launch. And, and uh, love for you to share a little more details. But for me, Gene, as I think back on this interview, I love the quote he shared at the start. Um, just how a coach transfers a valued person from where they are to where they want to be. Yeah, Chad, it was a really, really thoughtful conversation. Um, as I was um, talking to him and live taking notes, like my hand was moving so fast because I almost want to write down every every sentence that he spoke because so much wisdom there. And I do agree that that, that quote is really good. And I really like the, the word valued. You know, it's not just a person. It's not just another athlete. It's a valued person. And if we're proclaiming to be Christian coaches, that's an image bearer of God right there. Um, and I really like that. Another one I liked was his tip for moving with young kids in the family and how you should do it in the mid season so that the kid automatically has friends. Um, I thought that was really good. And then Chad, I asked him two extra questions after we prayed. Um, and the questions were, what are some transferable skills between pastors and coaches? 
And then also, how can we be goal oriented without overstepping God's will? And he had some great answers for that. If you guys want to listen to that, um, to those answers, go on Patreon on our Christian coach community. We just lowered the price in half for everyone now. Um, so now it's just the cost of one Starbucks coffee, Chad, um, which uh, everyone can do that. Um, so, Chad, it was a great talking to you. I, I always love seeing you, um, speaking with you, doing life with you. We're going through life through the same uh, time. And, and I'm so encouraged by your um, mission work now with AIA Tennis. Um, and, and Chad, I just can't wait to continue these conversations with incredible coaches, um, just being able to pick their brain and, and learn from so much wisdom like Jay Mills. If you want to get in touch with Coach Mills, text CJM to 33777 and you can sign up for his newsletter, his videos. They are really good. I, I, I watch them and read them all, all of them because there's a lot of, you know, wisdom nuggets in there. And then his book is Game On a coach's game for discipleship. And he just launched a few weeks ago and we'll put the link for that as well on the show notes. So if you want to buy it, you can. Coach, remember the mission field is right where you're at.